Hello, everyone, and welcome to New Consciousness Review. I'm Miriam Knight, and our guest today is Ajayan Boris. He's the author of a new book called Effortless Mind, Meditate with Ease. And he has traveled the globe, exploring all kinds of human potential practices. He even has his own radio show called Mind Matters Radio on Alternative Talk Radio in the Pacific Northwest. And he teaches workshops and retreats on meditation and spiritual relationships near Seattle and in the Himalayas. Ajayan, how would you describe the state of meditation? Okay, well, um, you know, there's so many little, there's so many aspects to the meditative state, and also it depends on, uh, you know, what stage of meditation you're in. Uh, like if you've just started or if you've been meditating for many years, the, there will be differences. But uh, essentially, what, what I think of as meditation is when you go from that conscious thinking level where we are most of our lives, where we spend most of our waking lives going from thought to thought, and you go from there to a subtler level of thinking. A, a deeper, quieter level of thinking, and you can. And meditation consists of just continually going to quieter and quieter levels of thought, transcending to even the deepest level of thought, and then even that fades away. And then you're simply, you're not asleep. You're simply aware, but there's no object of awareness, and so it's just a state of pure awareness, which is that basically that that's the innermost aspect of yourself your awareness you know we're aware of everything you know we're aware of the world we're aware of our our bodies we're aware of our thoughts we're aware of our personalities so it's that awareness itself that's the the innermost kernel of self and and so you're just abiding in that state of pure awareness and so that's kind of the the full scope of meditation from the conscious thinking mind through all the layers of subtle consciousness, subtle thoughts, uh, to the you know innermost core of your being. That sounds very spiritual. Now you're a hypnotherapist. How does it differ from a state of hypnosis? Well, um, you know, hypnosis is a deep state of relaxation. Uh, you're, but you're, it's probably, I guess, with hypnosis, it's kind of a dip into those subtle layers of thought. Uh, you don't keep transcending and transcending and transcending and then even transcend the faintest level of a thought and come to that pure awareness. Hypnosis, the range of hypnosis is a little more uh, superficial, and yet it's, I wouldn't call it superficial. Maybe that's uh, the wrong word to use, but it doesn't go quite to the same depth of, as meditation does. I see. So, you know, so many people recommend meditation. Why is it so good for you? What effect does pure meditation have on our body? Okay, so, you know, there's a lot of different benefits of meditation. Um, Well, and you asked about the physical benefits. Mind and body are really closely linked. So when the mind comes to these finer levels of experience in meditation, uh, things change in the body. For one thing, stress hormones, uh, the level of stress hormones goes down. Uh, It's kind of the, instead of that sort of go, go, go that we're always doing, which is, you know, can slip easily into the uh, 
a sympathetic uh, activation of the nervous system, where, which is kind of the fight or flight, um, you know, the fight or flight response. With meditation, it does just the opposite. It puts you into a parasympathetic response, which uh, is deeply relaxed. Deeply relaxed. Um, anxiety goes away. Uh, you know, whatever uh, tension and stress dissolves, and you're just in a deep state of peace and kind of inner harmony and relaxation. And so what that does for the body, of course, you know, stress is a major cause of illness. And so if we have a way of managing stress effectively, it's going to be a tremendous, uh, you know, boost to your physical health. Like all, like cardiovascular disease, you can, uh, can be aided with meditation. Um, not that you're aiding the disease, but that uh, you aid your health in the face of that. So blood pressure can come down, um, and uh, inflammation in the body comes down. So there, I mean, there's just a host of many different benefits for the physical health, all related, you could say, to uh, the reduction of stress. And then you could look at it from another perspective as well. Like in the East, um, they talk about the energetic body. And uh, that's a, you know, there's, there's many layers to our body, too, and there's a layer at which uh, there's, you know, energy happening in the body, energy flowing in the body through what they call nadis, subtle channels uh, for the prana or energy to flow. And so if uh, through meditation it melts, it awakens that subtle energy and directs the flow of energy through those nadis in a balanced, harmonious, and even way, and then health improves uh, as a result of that. Uh, it's similar to the idea in uh, the Chinese system of the meridians and the qi. The same, same concept exactly is that uh, by achieving a harmonious and even and balanced, strong flow of qi, uh, health, physical health improves. So there's kind of different ways you can look at it, but meditation definitely improves health. You know, that raises a, a, an intriguing question. In Eastern traditions, one of the favorite exercises, of course, is Tai Chi, which mm -hmm. moves the Chi around the body. Now in meditation, you're sitting very still, and yet you're using your intention to move Chi around the body. Do they have equivalent um, effects on the body? Uh, you know, I, it would be hard to compare, but I can tell you, you know, because for one thing, I haven't done Tai Chi. I do yoga as well as meditation. Uh, but what I, you definitely, during meditation, experience Chi or Prana very powerfully. Um, and again, it depends on how long you've been meditating and how clear your inner perception is. But uh, because that's a subtle experience of chi, you know, it's not something that's just obvious that everyone sees and feels all the time. So, but in meditation, you bring your awareness to these subtle levels. And the thing is that uh, the subtle levels of everything, and this includes the subtle levels of the mind, are much more powerful than the gross levels. Like, you know, let's say uh, the desk that may be in front of you, uh, you know, at the gross level, it's just this inert desk. But if you go to a subtle level, there's innumerable molecules shimmering with activity. And you go to a subtler level yet, and there's, you know, the subatomic particles whirling with immense, immense energy, you know, 
in fact, it is energy. So a, a tremendous dynamism and power at the subtle levels of creation. And when you meditate and go to these subtle layers of the mind, you're getting into much more powerful levels of thought, intense uh, creative intelligence uh, potential at those subtle levels. And that experience of the subtle level of the mind awakens the subtle energies in the body very effectively. And so in some sense, I would say, uh, at least in the Indian tradition, meditation is considered more advanced and more effective in this than, say, the uh, yoga asanas, the physical um, postures and, and that kind of thing. So in some ways, this has some advantage because you're taking the mind to that subtle subatomic level where there's immense energy and power and that awakens that energy in the body and then that starts to flow through the nadis and clear the nadis, the nadis being those subtle channels for the flow of that energy. And uh, so through that increased flow of energy, it starts to clear the obstacles and then you achieve that uh, balanced even flow of energy. That's that's interesting because it sounds almost like homeopathy, where you um, dilute the substance to a point. The more you dilute it, the mm-hmm. more uh, powerful it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's a really good point. It is kind of like that. You're going, yeah, exactly. You're taking things to a subtle level, and the subtle is more powerful. Like, uh, I didn't mention this in my book. You know, you could... Yeah, I once had a skin problem and put all kinds of different, uh, you know, medicines that I could find on this skin problem, and uh, it just stayed there for years, literally. Uh, then I was in, in uh, uh, Europe where homeopathy was quite popular. This was back in the 70s. And uh, this German homeopathic doctor gave me this um, solution with sulfur. And it was literally just a few molecules of sulfur in the solution. And I took that, and the rash went away instantly. I mean, it was just amazing. After years of trying to get rid of it, this homeopathic remedy was so much more effective. Uh, And so that was just a matter of a few molecules, like activating something almost like on the vibrational level. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was very subtle. And it was more powerful and more effective than taking all kinds of things on the growth. So uh, meditation is like that. You're working on the subtle levels of your own being, and there's, you can make a much bigger effect uh, on those subtle levels than on the growth. Our guest last week was a chemist who wrote a book called Molecules of Consciousness, Francoise Tabika, and we were talking about the power of getting into exactly what you were describing, the, the, the kind of space between the uh, atoms, the, the, the dark matter, if you will, the informational content of our bodies and accessing it directly. So you've been teaching yoga and meditation most of your life. Where did you learn these techniques? Actually, I know, but I want you to tell us. Okay. Um, actually, just to clarify, you know, I haven't, I don't teach yoga. Um, I've taught meditation since <clears throat> the early 70s. Um, 
and uh, and I just that's kind of been my passion is meditation. So although I do practice yoga every day and I love yoga, I've never uh, gone through the training to be a yoga teacher. I've just uh, taught meditation. So I first, um, you know, became actually well where I learned this. I first studied with uh, Maharshi Mahesh Yogi. Uh, in, who is the founder of the Transcendental Meditation Program, the TM program. And he, that was really my introduction to meditation. Uh, and it was a beautiful introduction. I really have immense gratitude to everything that uh, I learned, uh, you know, through studying with him. And uh, that kind of gave me the basics. And then I, uh, later on, well, I started exploring other practice, meditation practices. I met... Um, Amachi, you know, she's the no often called the hugging saint. I don't know. Have you met her yes, or do you know yes. her, Miriam? Okay. The luminous presence. Uh, okay, so I I met her and uh, and, and studied with her for some years, and eventually moved to her ashram in India. Lived there for four years, uh, and while I was there, she had me. Uh, be the meditation teacher for the ashram and so and she gave me a lot of guidance and uh, and then I went up to the Himalayas and studied with various uh, yogis and holy men up there and uh, got further practices and in addition to all this all the while I was spending many hours of uh, my day in meditation and just that intense practice kind of germinated the seeds of everything that I had, uh, you know, learned from all these different sources. And uh, so it's not really that I teach any of the specific techniques that I was taught exactly, but uh, kind of how they formed within me over the years and years of practice. And so that's uh, effortless mind meditation, I call it. I must say that I was really taken by it because it's almost like what we were talking about earlier, very subtle and very gentle, it just kind of, you flow into it. So uh, explain what your core uh, message is about this type of effortless meditation. Okay, Um, well you described it beautifully, (laughs) thanks Miriam. And I'm glad you've had that experience of that effortlessness and just kind of falling into it. Because really, here's the thing, and why I call it effortless mind meditation. You know, meditation, to in order for it to really work, it basically has to be effortless. And the reason for this is that you're going from the uh, waking, normal waking state of consciousness into an altered state of consciousness, the meditative state. And whenever you go from the waking state into an altered state, it, it pretty much has to be effortless uh, because effort will just sustain the waking state. Like, for instance, if you're trying to fall asleep, let's say you're an insomniac, you're tossing and turning, and you're trying to fall asleep. So you know, every insomniac knows this, the more you try to fall asleep, the more you're going to toss and turn and stay awake. It just it doesn't work because the trying maintains that waking state. And so it's very similar to this with meditation. If you're trying to meditate, you're going to be agitating the mind and keeping it on the surface. You're not going to go into those subtle layers of thought. So to go to those subtle layers of thought and experience during meditation, you have to kind of just let nature take over. And and so many people have, uh, no matter what form of meditation they do, they'll tell you, oh yeah, I had the best meditation ever. It just like it just 
was effortless and I just fell into it. I just was meditated. And so the key is to, uh, to make that effortless experience systematic, something that you can have every day. And so that's the essence of the techniques that I teach in the book Effortless Mind, is that uh, technique of being very effortless with it. And in the, you know, in the book, I describe several forms of meditation, a chakra meditation, a mantra meditation, a sort of body scan type meditation for health and longevity. Uh, and in each case, the, the key to every one of those is that totally effortless approach so that you just uh, can fall into it. And once you do that, you go to those subtle levels and then you start to experience that awakening of the subtle energies in the body and, and you bask even physically in that subtle energy. So it's just a wonderful, uh, rejuvenating, refreshing experience. I know that sometimes when I meditate, I get all these thoughts coming in and, you know, one tends to start beating yourself up because of it. But you don't. And that was so nice. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know, many people say that. And it's, and it's really another key to meditation. So I, in fact, I, in the book, I talk about the two essential principles. And the first is that complete effortless approach, you know, the effortless uh, effortlessness of meditation, that's the first important principle. And the second one is about thoughts, and that is just to uh, recognize really at the deepest level of your being that thoughts are a part of the meditation so that we can accept them. And the way there's many ways of looking at this. One way I'll just maybe will help your listeners who may already be meditating. If you think of the mind like an ocean, to be like an ocean. And up until we start meditating, we've been hanging out at the surface of that ocean of the mind, uh, going from thought wave to thought wave to thought wave. Um, and then when you start to meditate, it's like dipping underneath the surface. And as soon as you dip under the surface, uh, there's a sense of inner science, silence and peace and quiet. And you can keep going down and down and down into the depths of the ocean, and it gets more and more quiet and more and more quiet. And yet at the same time, it doesn't mean that the whole ocean becomes completely still. I mean, there can still be the waves going on on the surface, but they're in the periphery. And, uh, and that's perfectly okay. That is what meditation is. And it's just so it's not that we have to completely eliminate thoughts. It's just that we're changing our relationship to the thoughts and so and that's such an important key and then there's much more to it than this uh, I'd also talk about in the book about how actually the thoughts that come during meditation can be the byproduct of the purification that happens during meditation and purification is really how we get the benefits of meditation you know we have to meditation isn't about just having a wonderful experience during meditation, it's about connecting with your full creative uh, potential and then bringing that out into your life. And for that to happen, we have to eliminate all the blocks to the expression of that full potential. And, and in that process of eliminating the blockages, uh, there's a kind of purification that takes place. And a lot of times that uh, purification process kind of stirs the mind and many thoughts. So in some ways, believe it or not, uh, a uh, 
one sign of a really powerful effect of meditation can be that you have tons of thoughts just flying like crazy, you know, just boil, the mind boiling with thoughts. So anyway, that was kind of a long-winded answer to your question, but uh, <laughs> hopefully it helped. I thought it was interesting. You gave kind of a, a shortcut to effective meditation, and you start from the bottom up, um, which I thought was also a bit unusual, but really quite effective. Tell, tell us about that. Now, now when you, are you referring to the... The perineum thing. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay. That's what you meant by the bottom up. I wondered if that's what you meant by that. Okay. That's a great question, Miriam. Um, okay. So, yes. In the, in the book, I, uh, I think the first technique that I talk about is called Mula Bandha. And Mula means root. Uh, so it's related to the root chakra. And the root chakra is located at the perineum. So that's between the anus and the genitals. Uh, so actually, the yogis for, I don't know how many, hundreds, probably thousands of years, have known that there's a certain uh, subtle physical exercise you can do uh, that uh, awakens that subtle energy at the root chakra and starts to move that energy up through the subtle channels, the nadis, to awaken the, the higher centers, you know, the chakras, okay? So, um, so anyway, this consists of basically the Kegel exercise. Uh, so you're just squeezing that, uh, squeezing the perineal floor and then relaxing it. And so, and I put this to the breath. So you're squeezing on the in-breath and relaxing on the out-breath. And you can add a further uh, sort of refinement that in that you can, as you squeeze on the in-breath, feel a subtle flow of attention rising up the body through either the core of the body or the spine up to, say, the point between the eyebrows. And then as you uh, exhale, you can relax the perineum and feel that dropping back down, your attention going back down to the perineum. And just do that over and over, and you'll find that within just a few minutes, you're in a meditative state. And the reason for that is because you're waking, awakening those subtle energies, and it just puts you in that meditative state. You were speaking earlier about the purification process, mm-hmm. and I noticed in your chakra meditation where you kind of bring your attention from one chakra to the other, you sort of relate each chakra to um, the issues that are commonly associated with each chakra by people like Carolyn Mace, you know, the, the anatomy of the uh, spirit. And you encourage people to kind of focus on these issues and release them. How did you come to that? Um, okay, so actually... You know, I do discuss the chakras and the various issues that are related to them. However, I would say that during meditation, uh, because meditation is a, a very subtle process like we've been talking about, you're going to these deep levels of, of the mind. And so you don't really want to so much uh, consciously be thinking about these issues uh, that relate to the chakras as you're meditating. It's kind of just just for the sake of information, just so that you know uh, that yes, as you clear these the chakras, there is going to be a clearing of certain psychological issues. 
but that'll happen uh, spontaneously as a result of your me the meditation clearing the chakra and in combination with you know being sort of mindful in your activity afterwards and so that's actually towards the end of the book that I talk about that need for mindfulness in activity to integrate the benefits of meditation so that these issues really are resolved uh, in, in a, you know in a beautiful way so but the but energetically you can start to when you're clearing the chakras in meditation, you wouldn't want to be contemplating those issues because then you'd be kind of more on the surface of the mind thinking about mm -hmm. things. Well, what so, if you had an, a, a particular issue that related to a specific chakra, you know, say the second or the third chakra? Is mm -hmm. there, a, um, would you recommend uh, just focusing on that chakra? I know you do have a, 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 ch a meditation that focuses on the heart chakra. Um, mm -hmm. Would that be particularly beneficial? Uh, you know, if you re if you're certain that you have an issue that just relates to one chakra, but that that would be rare because you know there is kind of an integrated system. You know the the chakras. Uh, uh, well, of course, they're all related; they're all connected, and so uh, kind of to really uh, clear the issues of a particular chakra generally will involve working on other chakras also. So in the chakra meditation that I teach, it's kind of just an even, uh, you know, allotment of time and attention for each of the chakras. Mm -hmm. Sort and, of balancing. Uh, yeah, kind of balanced, a balanced approach to that. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's no harm if you know, let's say you feel like you're caught in your head and you just don't have a connection in your heart and you really... You know, people in your life, your relationships point this out to you, and so you decide, oh, okay, I've really got to work on my heart, you know. So, and that is an important thing for all of us. And so then you could put more attention on, say, your heart chakra. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, so, yeah, that principle is, you know, could apply for sure. Mm -hmm. You do speak of prolonging lifespan through meditation. Is that a realistic goal? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> you know, that comes up because, uh, I mean, first off, I, I don't know, you know, I'm not sure of your, who your audience is generally, but, uh, uh, you know, they may be aware that uh, for many centuries there's been this thinking in India and Tibet that uh, it's possible to greatly prolong your lifespan through spiritual practice. Um, and the idea behind this is that, so is that that core of consciousness uh, in the very you know inmost aspect of your being, it's uh, totally non-material. It's pure spirit, purely a spiritual reality. Uh, there's no boundaries to it, no edges to it. It's unbounded, infinite, uh, pure spirit. So it doesn't decay. It's a, uh, it's immortal, eternal. Uh, and so that's within us. That's the spark of the divine that's at the core of our being. And uh, so through meditation, we connect with that. And we can start to allow that to shine through our consciousness. And it does affect our body. As I talked about earlier, it affects how the body functions, right? So our body is going to function in a more relaxed and balanced and even way. So that in itself, and getting rid of stress in itself, will certainly improve the quality of our lives, uh, but it should also 
give us a chance of even prolonging our lives because let's face it, if we're managing stress, even if you just look at heart disease, for instance, um, we know that stress is related to that. So if you just amp up the stress in your life, yeah, you can have a heart attack, you know, on demand practically. Um, so what if you could do just the opposite? What if you could uh, ease the stress in your life? Uh, then by, you know, just common sense would tell you, well, then your chances of a heart attack are going to go down, which means if you do that across a certain population, on the average, yes, the lifespan should go up. Mm-hmm. So it sure. only makes sense, you know. I don't know that science has studied this. I don't, I'm not aware. Actually, of science has studied it. In, uh, okay. I remember reviewing a book uh, a couple of years ago by a Harvard a researcher, a medical doctor, and they were all excited because they had actually proven scientifically that meditation does improve health. So this is something that we have all known for uh, probably thousands of years, but medical science has finally caught up with it. Right. Now, um, you talk about um, the different mantras that one can use, and people associate the word om with meditation, and yet you advise against its prolonged use. Uh, Tell us why. Okay. Well, um, you know, this is something It relates to the sort of subtler science of mantras. Uh, You know, sound has particular effects. Uh, And so, you know, people can break glass with sound, you can clean glass with sound. Um, It depends on the sound. And the quality of it and the source of it. So, um, so anyway, but sound is vibration, and vibration has an effect. So, in the science of mantras, uh, you know, there are different paths, different paths to God realization, to enlightenment. And uh, you know, in the East, one one fairly great distinction is between the path of the renunciate and the path of the householder. Uh, and so most of us would be in that second category, in the path of the householder. In other words, we live a lifestyle where we're engaged in the world, where, you know, we enjoy, uh, we like having, being successful, we like achieving things, we like, um, you know, having a family and friends and all of this. And that my whole lifestyle, it's perfectly uh, possible to, you know, to have spiritual development and even enlightenment in that lifestyle. That's definitely um, present in all of the, of the scriptures of India. Uh, so it doesn't cater just to the renunciate, but it's a very different path than the renunciation, path of renunciation. Mm-hmm. So in any case, uh, the mantra Om is uh, basically the primordial sound. It's, it's as close to the vibration of the unmanifest as you can get. It's, a, it's just that primordial sound, the first vibration right at the level of manifestation. So it's that, uh, basically the, you know, the constant hum of the manifest underlying all creation. So if you, if your life swings in that vibration of Om, if you, through constant repetition, constant meditation, you swing in that vibration of the unmanifest, then your life is going to take on the character of the unmanifest, uh, meaning that relationships will drop away, 
um, your interests and engaging in the world will drop away. You'll become just a very interdirected, very much uh, absorbed in just your spiritual development to the exclusion of everything else. And that's a great asset if you're on the path of renunciation. You know, if you're a monk or a nun, that's perfect. Then that helps you in, your, in that path. But um, for those who are engaged in the world, you wouldn't want to, you know, increase that vibration. You would want to have a vibration that uh, is going to give you uh, not only spiritual prosperity, but material prosperity and success and creative, create, uh, awaken the creative energies that allow you to engage more successfully in life. And so that's the mantras that are appropriate in the uh, householder path. So that was your hrim? Uh Yes, that now... Dream, you know, is um, one of one of those mantras, and it happens to be a sort of um, very universal mantra. It's referred to as the Devi Pranava. You know, Om is referred to as Pranava, and Pranava means that which awakens, uh, that's which uh, settles the pranas. Um, so this gets into a lot of technical stuff i probably shouldn't go there but okay. uh, basically yeah basically it's just that yes the devi pranava is said to be like the equivalent of om but for householders mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so you spent a long time meditating in a cave in the himalayas uh what uh were you focusing on there and what was the purpose of your retreat. Okay. Uh, yeah, that sounds like I'm a renunciate, doesn't it? <laughs> so, Just asking. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so in any case, no, I was, uh, you know, even on any path, you can still do retreats. And I think they're wonderful to do. You know, we need that, uh, we need some balance in our lives. We're all so busy and uh, engaged all the time, you know, that it's really important then to take some time to draw back and really go into the self and and connect with your own being. And so that's what I was doing in, in kind of a prolonged way. I took a couple of, I did the, I've done this several times where I'd take a couple of months uh, and I happened to, this was when I was living in India and I went up to the Himalayas and found a cave at the source of the Ganges and meditated and went into silence for those couple of months and just ate one meal a day. And uh, it was a beautiful experience of, uh, just really going deeply and exclusively into meditation. So I was, you know, practicing the same forms of meditation that I teach in my book, plus, you know, some advanced techniques that I also do. And I just really dove into it. And it was just a lovely, beautiful, deepening uh, retreat. So, but it's, but it's all about balance, you know. Uh, so then after that, I had to come out and engage and, and, uh, and that gave me a lot of energy for, you know, years to come. Mm -hmm. I thought it was rather sweet in your book. You talk about creating your own little cave in your home where you can retreat. Oh, yeah, that's right. You can do that. Yeah, you know, that. I think I was uh, mentioning that where I talk about where to meditate. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a part of the book that just kind of gives some, you know, some practical, suggestions. practical pointers. Yeah. And uh, so people have asked me a lot of these questions over the years. So where to meditate? Yeah, it's kind of like you can make a little corner of your room and in our bedroom. We have a, a, a meditation bench, and that's where we meditate on. Uh, 
And so you kind of build up an, an atmosphere of meditation in that area where you're meditating every day. And then every time you just go there and you sit in there, as soon as you sit down there, you just feel the peaceful, you know, vibrations that you set up there. And that helps your meditation. It helps you go deeper. And also uh, it's just very soothing and healing to have a place like that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, you've written this book um, about how to meditate. I found it very easy to follow, um, but you've also taught meditation. Do you think that there is a benefit to learning meditation from a human being as opposed to a book, or do you think your book can be just as effective? Um, well, I would say, you know, yes to both, and also even yes to the question that a book has certain advantages. Um, so let me let me explain. Uh, so, um, yeah, first off, the key to successful meditation, as I've mentioned before, is effortlessness. So it doesn't matter if you learn from a teacher. If, if, you're, um, if you learn from a teacher and it's not an effortless practice, then you're going to have difficulty meditating and it will be frustrating and it won't be so effective. If you learn from a book and you have an effortless practice gained from the book, then you're gonna. Then it's gonna be a wonderful meditation. It'll be very effective, and so on. So you and you can definitely get that from a book. So that's what I've tried to convey in my book. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the key: is the effortlessness. And where you get that doesn't matter. Even uh, you know, Saint Teresa of Avila, one of the great uh, Christian mystics of all time, you know, was first guided in her in her meditations by a book. And so, you know, it's certainly possible. Um, so the, the advantage to being with a teacher, let's say, because I do offer classes, is that, you know, you can ask any question. Uh, you have that personal connection with the teacher. That's kind of nice. Um, but the real crux of it is that you've got to come away with an effortless practice. Um, and the advantage of a book is that, you know, after a class in person with the teacher, you know, you go away and you may never see that teacher again. With the book, you have uh, something that you can constantly refer to, you know, a few months later you can read it again. So it's like having the teacher in your pocket in a way. So there's some definite advantage there as well. And I do recommend the book to the reader, uh, to the listener, because it really is beautifully set out, very lucid and very easy to follow. So kudos on that. Ajayan. Ajayan, how do people find out more about uh, the book, about your work, and and I understand your your radio program as well? Okay. Uh, Again, I have a website, uh, ajayan.com, that's A-J-A-Y-A-N, and so there you can connect with the radio show as well, and archive shows, and of course about my classes, and I also have there, you know, if you uh, get the book and read through the book, you learn those meditations. Um, I have a guided uh, audio uh, meditation that you can download from my website. So that also, you asked about um, the advantage of having a teacher in person. So that gives you a good piece of that advantage because I'll guide you right through that meditation that I teach in the book. So that's helpful as well. Um, so anyway, jn.com is the way to connect with me. Great. Well, we have been speaking with Ajayan Boris about his book, Effortless Mind, Meditate with Ease.
by New World Library. Uh, Jane, I want to thank you so much for being on our show today. Thank you, Miriam. I really enjoyed it. appreciate it. And now I'm delighted to welcome award-winning singer-songwriter Gina C. Tolley. Her delightfully entertaining and thought-provoking music inspire us to elevate our consciousness, reach for our full potential, and use that potential to create a better life and a better world. Her unique shows, including her one-woman cabaret, reflect the principles of ancient wisdom, new thought, and new science. And her powerful and transforming music has even been used by NASA and in international CD compilations for peace. Gina has just joined us here in Portland, Oregon. So welcome, Gina. Welcome to Portland and to the show. Well, thank you, Miriam. And actually, I'm originally from Seattle, Washington. Are you really? Aha. So you're coming back to your roots. That's exactly what I'm doing. (laughs) Exactly. Well done. So, Gina, you are, I, I was listening to your music, and after meeting you, I was astounded that such an enormous sound can come from such a petite package. <laughs> oh, yes, I hear that often. <laughs> <laughs> well, you have gone into a very interesting area. How did you decide to use music to communicate your message? Well, I actually started out in music, Mm -hmm. actually in theater originally, Mm -hmm. and then went into the music business, uh, sang in many bands. uh, But when I started writing music, my simultaneous path had always been human consciousness, spirituality, and human potential. So I had these two paths going, and in the 90s, I started digging deeper into the consciousness part of it, and so the music started reflecting more and more of the metaphysics, the science, the spirituality, and then when my last band, Alchemy 7, which we were together for like 12, 13 years, and our first CD uh, was my first actually full-length CD was done with them. I had done several things with my sister prior to, uh, but they had mostly been singles and things like that. Mm-hmm. And at that point, when the band kind of parted ways, I wanted to take the message that we had and elaborate it on it further. And I was fortunate to get hired by a woman uh, in a school called Twin Cities Possibilities that uh, had healed herself from all sorts of autoimmune diseases with energetics, science, focus, consciousness, all of this kind of thing. And she started using my music in her healing mm-hmm. class. And ultimately, we did a CD together. So this gave me the idea of going in my mind because we were going to conferences and, you know, to great Braden lectures and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going, gosh, the average public that would not read a book and it would not necessarily be fascinated by these lectures by Bruce Lipton and people like that, which I find enormously fascinating. There's, it's, it's important information that we know these things and can understand our potential so that we can really transform this planet into what it has the capability of being. Mm-hmm. So at that point, when the band kind of parted ways, and it really just kind of ran its course, Um, What happened was I started playing around with my music tracks because they'd always recorded um, 
called Minus Ones, the studio, which was everything but my vocal. And my song guy says, someday you'll be glad I kept you in the studio till 2 o'clock in the morning doing these. I'm going, right, Todd. <laughs> and I thought, hmm, Todd might have been right. So I started playing, doing performances with my Minus Ones, and it was working pretty well. So then the idea came to me that I'd always wanted to write a musical. And that's how my cabaret of consciousness came to be, is I started gathering all this information, all the music, put everything together that I had learned in my lifetime and put together a cabaret of consciousness which stars Mama Earth and she has, she's a rock star and she's got a message for humanity that is very hopeful and crystal clear that we can, we can, we can do this. We can raise our consciousness and create a better world and unite humanity and heal the planet. So that's how the show came to be, and it has evolved over the last six, seven years. I keep adding to it. It started out as an hour show. It's now an hour and a half, and it is always constantly updated by whatever I'm finding interesting that, to add to it at the time. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that led me from there into creating a company called the City of Light Productions, which is with my partner, Mecca Manns. And now we're doing, the cabaret is our premier presentation, but we are also, I have a children's show that's 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. We also have a performance CD that you can download or purchase that's about 20 minutes. For, and these are for kids from, oh, I would say four to nine. The cabaret is for nine and up. My goodness, you are a busy girl. Well, yes. <laughs> uh, we were talking about this cabaret of consciousness, so why don't we just hear a bit from the, the title song that you just mentioned, The City of Light, from your cabaret of consciousness. And I understand it was written by you and Marshall Davis. Correct. The City of Light from Gina's Cabaret of Consciousness. So are you planning any performances of this cabaret? Actually, we have uh, two debut performances in Portland on April 6th and April 27th. It is at the Headwaters Theater in Northeast Portland on Farragut Avenue. And on our website, the City of Light Productions, Dot com. The city with uh, starting with TNG? The city. Oh, the yes, city the of light com. Okay. Correct. If you go to our events page, 
Uh, it will give you all the information on uh, the, t- the tickets and how to purchase them. Okay. I just want to point out to our listeners, in case you're listening to an archive, this is 2013. Okay. Now, you did a lot of work with Grammy winner Barry Goldstein. Tell us about that collaboration. I will say Barry is not only an absolutely incredible musician, but he is an incredibly wonderful, loving human being. And the two songs that we did together were probably one of the highlights in my life as far as working with someone that really brought the best out in me. I had worked, you know, in many situations where it was more of a band focus because it just works, it functions differently when you're working as a band as it does when you're working as as a solo artist. And Barry just really helped me bring out me, Mm -hmm. I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, the song, These Are the Days that we collaborated, actually it was Barry, Marshall Davis, and myself that wrote These Are the Days, and then Barry produced it. Um, is I would say of all my songs, I, I mean, I have different favorites at different times, but I love that song. Mm-hmm. I, it just tells the, the song, it's about the times we're living in. It, it expresses exactly the way I would want to have expressed it. Barry just is, he's fantastic. Well, I think we have no choice but to listen to a bit of it. Sounds great. Gina. Yes, they are. Um, yes. What are you doing in developing the sort of spiritual, metaphysical side of your message? What am I doing to develop it? Combinations of things. Um, my own journey. I'm constantly um, staying in touch with and tuning into whatever the the newest discoveries are as far as um, everything from our biology to our spirituality because there's lots of fascinating things 
on the horizon right now as far as our spirituality, particularly how science and spirituality are coming together so well at this point, that they're saying the same thing in different ways. Absolutely. And I, developing it, you know, I think living it is important for me. Um, and, walking my talk uh, is very important for me. Are you coming um, out with any new songs uh, along these lines? Well, right now I've got about 40 songs. There's, uh, as far as there's like, oh, the cabaret, there's like 13, 14 songs. And I have a lot of songs that have been written over the years that really, I guess the best way to put it is I had an injury that set me back for about five or six years. Mm -hmm. So a lot of stuff never really got released and really got brought out there, including myself with Alchemy 7. There's a lot of stuff there that is very, it's all still very valid. So what I'm doing is re-releasing a lot of things right now and focusing on the cabaret and working on bringing these into little, like just now we're, I'm going to be putting out a special, and you can check on my website for this, on, again on the events page, and there'll be a link that says special offer. And what I'm doing is taking stories from the cabaret and a song, like there's one called Mastering the Molecules. It's Mama Earth teaching us how to master the molecules. And then there's a song called The Dream Lives that goes with it. It's going to be a 99 special special for a limited period of time. So what I'm working on now is bringing this into like more of a edu educational, informative, you know, uh, in insightful, I think that's the word I'm looking for, things for people to download and or in an ebook that is very simple to focus on a directed area and use it like this particular thing. You can get up every morning and listen to it and it will remind you what to do throughout the day to keep your focus on the higher awareness on how you are affecting the world around you. Well, it sounds like you are becoming a singing Buddha. And I would like <laughs> to <is> a thought. <laughs> I would like to thank you for joining us today, Gina. Well, we're going to close with a beautiful song that kind of says it all. It all comes down to love. It's one of, another one of the highlights of Gina's Cabaret of Consciousness. And remember to go to Gina's uh, website to find out when she's going to be performing in it. So we're going to go out on It All Comes Down to Love, and I want to thank you, Gina, for being with us. Thank you, Miriam. You have the power of the peacemaker. Listening to New Consciousness Review, 
Our website is ncreview.com. Well, I hope you'll join us next week. Until then, I'm Miriam Knight. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Tell you love.